Ready? Born ready. Party people, you are tuning in to another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Saba Long. We've got another great show lined up for you. Why don't we dive right in? So this is practically old news at this point, but Music Midtown, which is held every September in Piedmont Park, has been canceled. So what happened? Well, in 2014, then-Governor Nathan Deal, who is a Republican, signed a law that allows people to carry concealed guns practically everywhere. Bars, public parks, churches, etc. So after that bill was signed, a local activist, this guy named Philip Evans, went to the Atlanta Botanical Gardens with his gun. And they told him, sorry, Philip, but you've got to leave and come back without the gun. So he said, okay, I'll see you in court. Now, he ended up losing that court case, basically because the Atlanta Botanical Gardens is technically a private entity in a long-term lease with the city. So because they are a private business, they can not allow guns. They can say, we don't want to allow guns. So back to Music Midtown. Now, Piedmont Park is a city-owned property, and then the festival is in a short-term lease with Piedmont Park, with the city, right? And so in Philip Evans' mind, he says that that's not the same legal standing as the Botanical Gardens, which is in a long-term lease. So Philip says, well, if you ban guns at Music Midtown, which they do every year, I'm going to sue you, or at least someone else is going to sue you. And so that is why you won't be attending Music Midtown and Piedmont Park anytime soon. So, you know, I always like to give real world examples of how government can impact your life. And this is one. Gun law turns into a festival being canceled and maybe moving to another state. So what happens next? The city of Atlanta is expected to lose $50 million in taxes like liquor sales and other revenue because of the cancellation of Music Midtown. Now, I was on the radio last week and I said, my guess is that Mayor Andre Dickens is going to call up Governor Brian Kemp and find some type of carve out in the next legislative session to make sure that this doesn't happen. Or maybe the mayor can use this as leverage to get something else from this state, not at all related to this, but just something else. And he can use this as leverage to say, hey, governor, you guys cost me 50 million and probably more if other festivals do the same thing. We'll see what happens. All right. This next one is big. So a federal judge ruled on Friday that Georgia has to end statewide elections to the Public Service Commission. So as a public service commissioner, you have to live in a certain district, but you run statewide. And so because of that, the judge ruled that this discriminates against Black voters because their vote is diluted. 
Now, it's up to the state's attorney general, Chris Carr, who is a Republican, to appeal this. And I imagine that will be what happens next. Now, in the November election, you're supposed to be able to vote for two public service commissioner seats. They're both currently held by Republicans, Tim Eccles and Fitz Johnson. Fitz, by the way, who's black, he was appointed by Governor Kemp. So he hasn't actually been on the ballot before. Well, other than the primary election, but he was, you know, effectively a shoe in for that. So only one black person has ever won the election for public service commissioner in the state of Georgia. And that was back in 2000. It was a Democrat who had previously been appointed by then Governor Roy Barnes. So we don't quite yet know what's going to happen, but it seems like the Public Service Commission elections won't happen this year after all. So instead, the judge said that Fitz and Tim can stay in their seats until the districts are redrawn by state legislators next year, and they'll meet in January of 2023. Then they can set a new elections. Now, Republicans are pissed. They dominate the Public Service Commission. I, I get it. This is one of those interesting, tricky things that happen. If this helps get a Black person elected to the Public Service Commission, is it worth it? I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of litigation about this. So, by the way, the Public Service Commission determines, if you're not sure what they do, they determine just how much Georgia Power and the other companies like Georgia Power can charge you in fees and services. So you definitely want to pay attention to what's happening with the Public Service Commission. I also should shout out Daniel Blackman before we leave this topic. He is a black man who ran for Public Service Commission in 2020. And I think he ran one more time before that and he almost won. Now, you might remember that was the election where Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and Daniel Blackman were the three people in the Democratic runoff in January. And Ossoff and Warnock won, but Blackman did not. But he's now at the EPA and doing big things there. All right, on to national news. This is a crazy one. Republicans hosted their annual event called CPAC, which is a conservative political action conference in Dallas, Texas, over the weekend. The usual suspects were on the speaker list, Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Ted Cruz. And then from Georgia, we had former Congressman Doug Collins and, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, one person who I would have expected to be a speaker Maybe he did speak, but he wasn't listed on the speaker list. That was Vernon Jones. But the person that I want to talk about here is someone who was given prime time, 30-minute slot, and it's an indication for me of how the Republican Party has lost its way. Who was this person? None other than the authoritarian leader of Hungary, Viktor Orban. So about a week ago before this speech, Viktor Orban was speaking in Hungary at a university, and he lit a bomb when he said this, and I quote, We are willing to mix with one another, but we do not want to become peoples of mixed race, end quote. Orban is pretty hard against illegal immigration. Orban is 
for sure someone who could be identified as a nationalist Christian. He's anti-Islam. So why should you give a flip about who's speaking at a Republican event? A Republican event on American soil? Well, Viktor Orban said things like this in his speech, and I quote, Don't worry, a Christian politician cannot be racist. So we should never hesitate to heavily challenge our opponents on these issues. Be sure, Christian values protect us from going too far. End quote. And then he goes on to say progressive liberals are the same as communists. Again, he is speaking to Americans on American soil at this speech. Take a listen. Dear friends, I have also learned that in order to win, it is not enough to know what you are fighting for. You also have to know how you should fight. My answer is play by your own rules. But how do you do that? It is as simple as it sounds. You must play to win. You cannot expect victory and plan for defeat. You have to believe that you are better than your left liberal opponents are. And don't care what the liberals say. They always say you will lose. They say it cannot be done. You just have to prove them wrong. But there is one thing I have learned. We cannot fight successfully by liberal means. Because our opponents use liberal institutions, concept and language to disguise their Marxist and hegemonist plans. Politics, my friend, are not enough. This war is a culture war. He goes on to talk about pro-family policies in Hungary. Subsidies to families begin at conception. If that sounds familiar, in Georgia, families can now claim on their taxes a fetus in utero as part of the Living Infants and Fairness Equality Act passed by the Georgia state legislature. Orban also made clear his beliefs that a family consists of a man and a woman. And again, this tracks with Republicans in Congress refusing to vote to protect same-sex marriages, or at least refusing to vote yes to protect same-sex marriages. I just personally think it's astounding to have a leader of another country come here and say these things, receive a primetime spot and a standing ovation. It's not so much the things around family that is disturbing to me, but he is furthering the divide between Republicans and Democrats when he says things like liberals are the same as communists. And then again, refusing to protect things that as a country we have all agreed on, the right to a same-sex marriage. And let's not forget that in a matter of a few years, America will be a majority-minority country. And we are a mixed-race country. All right, next on the list, there were some elections last week across the country. Here are some of the highlights. Rusty Bowers was Arizona Speaker of the House. He testified against Trump at the January 6th committee. And then in return, the Arizona Republican Party censured him. And while he, all this was happening, Rusty decided to run for state Senate because he was term-limited in the House. Well, he lost his election. 
And he lost it to an opponent who said that Rusty abandoned Trump and he did not do enough to investigate the 2020 election. Blake Masters, he is an Arizona Republican nominee for Senate. Blake Masters is a 30-something tech guy who used to work for, or maybe still works for, Peter Thiel. If that name sounds familiar, you probably watch The Social Network. Thiel has funded some of the biggest tech companies of today. Facebook slash Meta, Airbnb, LinkedIn, Yelp, Spotify. He all helped fund those companies. He's also a co-founder of PayPal. And he identifies as a conservative libertarian. He's given more than $20 million to Republican candidates and counting. So Blake Masters is a peculiar candidate. He was endorsed by Trump. He's smart. He's unconventional. He almost reminds me of Steve Bannon in the sense that he often talks a lot about the problems facing everyday people. And so he says some of the right things, like we do need to get back to a place in America where you can have a family on a single income. But then he also says things like black people are to blame for gun violence. And of course, he's praised by white nationalist groups. Take a listen to one of his ads. Psychopaths are running the country right now. You've got Biden, Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mark Kelly. These people don't care what's actually happening to you. If you're paying double for a tank of gas, they'll say, don't worry, that's temporary. If you see a millions of people coming across our southern border, they'll say, don't worry, it's racist to care. Or if you're concerned that your kid's school is shut down again, they'll say, don't worry, safety first. Because in these people's minds, you can not worry enough about a virus. That's why they want to lock you in your home and force the COVID shot on your perfectly healthy three-year-old. That's what Democrats deliver today. No solutions, just hysteria. They're obsessed with their own power. That's all they think about. That's why they want you powerless and afraid. But we know what to do. You want law and order? We need a border wall. To beat inflation, we need factories right here in America. And we need schools that teach reading and writing and civics instead of racism. I'm Blake Masters. I'm running for the US Senate in Arizona. And I approve this message, because to save this country, we've got to get rid of these psychopaths. So you know, one thing you can't see is the visual and the cinematography. There's just something kind of dark about him to me. I just get a vibe of like, I don't know, something out of Black Mirror <laughs> when I watch his. He's going to go up against Democrat Mark Kelly. He's the astronaut who's married to Gabby Giffords. That name rings a bell. She was in Congress and was shot by a constituent and almost died. So this election, the Arizona Senate election, is a must win, just like our Senate race here in Georgia. Another big one, Kansas, a red state, Republican state, voted to protect the right to abortion as written in their state's constitution. The vote passed by 59%. And how did this even get to a vote? Republicans in Kansas put this on the ballot as a statewide referendum, and they wanted to see where the people stood. They thought that this was going to pass overwhelmingly. They thought that people would vote 
against abortion. And in fact, they voted to protect the right to an abortion. And so maybe, I'm not holding my breath, but maybe we'll see if Republicans in Kansas and maybe Republicans across other states will listen to the will of the people on this issue. Another election that's interesting, Detroit will not have a black person representing them in Congress for the first time in, well, a very long time. So they had a Democratic primary and had seven black people running, which meant that the black vote was split. And the person who ended up winning the primary is an Indian American. Now, there is a black Republican running for Congress, but this is a safe Democratic district. And so all signs point to the Indian American and who's a Democrat will win that congressional seat. This is one of the things that I think happens all too often in elections. We hear we heard a lot about this in the Atlanta mayoral election, the last two, really, if not more, where you have a slew of black candidates run. And if not for Mary Norwood being seen as a Republican and a racist, she would have won because the black vote was split. So it's a it's should be something that people pay attention to going forward if you are trying to elect black folks in office. All right. On to a big thing. Now, when we talked about the elections, we also have to talk about some big bills that just passed in the Senate. If Democrats actually run on what they've done and how it makes America stronger and your future and my future brighter, they should do decently in the midterms. They should. But that's a big communications task. And in fact, it's a $3 billion communication task because overall, it's expected that $6 billion will be spent on the November election across the country in communication, advertising, mail, text messages, things of that sort. And so expect half of that to be sent uh, to be spent by Democrats. So what is the the bill that passed? So there's this thing in the Senate called Votorama. So you know how before you go on vacation, you try to get all your big work projects done so you can actually leave your computer at home and not be bothered? Well, there's basically the legislative version of that called the Votorama. So it's a three or so day intense back and forth of writing and voting on amendments to bills and getting the final votes through before the August recess. That's the summer break when the Senate typically goes on recess. The point of the recess is to give senators a chance to go back home, spend time in their states before the election heats up, maybe spend a little bit more time with their family and friends. And then it also gives the staff a bit of a breather. So back to the Votorama. On Sunday, the Senate passed legislation to address the climate and lower the cost of prescription drugs. This is that $700 billion Inflation Reduction Act bill that I mentioned in last week's episode. So the bill passed 51 to 50, which means not a single Republican voted for the bill. All 50 Democrats voted yes. Yes, even Manchin and Cinema. And of course, Vice President Kamala Harris was the tiebreaker. Now, Manchin and Cinema really drove a lot of what happened here in the final legislation because this would never have happened without their vote. So, some key points from this bill Medicare can now negotiate down the prices of some prescription drugs. Now, one big caveat this won't start until 2026, but that is a big deal. 
If you're on Medicare, it caps the cost of insulin to $35. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because you've probably seen Senator Raphael Warnock with a bunch of ads about this. Capping the cost of insulin is something that he has been pushing for for a while now. And he actually wanted to cap it at $35 for private health insurance plans, too. But Republicans killed that provision. I should also add that Warnock tried to get Medicaid expansion that would cover more than 600,000 Georgians and more than 4 million people in 12 states. But again, that was one that the politics was just too much to overcome. And that one got left on the cutting room floor. Now, the healthcare component of this bill is the biggest healthcare related bill since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare. Some other things this does $370 billion on clean energy programs. This is going to help the country reduce U.S. carbon emissions by 40% by the year 2030. It also gives tax breaks for companies that produce renewable energy. So think wind or solar. And then it imposes a fee on methane emissions. But then it also does things like new oil drilling in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. And that provision is courtesy of Joe Manchin. A couple of other things. It's going to lower the federal deficit by $300 billion over the next 10 years. It enforces a 15% minimum corporate tax. This is a new one, a 1% tax on stock buybacks beginning in the year 2023. We've talked about that a lot on the show where corporations do big stock buybacks instead of using that money to help invest in the business or even to reward workers. But another thing, thanks to literally one person, Kristen Cinema. It keeps a tax break in place called the carried interest loophole, and that allows venture capitalists and hedge fund types to pay lower taxes on some of their income compared to other taxpayers. Now, at the end of the day, there's a lot you can say about this bill that isn't enough or they should have done this or that. But Democrats put major points on the board. They can go campaign and say, hey, I'm helping senior citizens on fixed income to save money on prescription drugs. Or you young black kid living in a community with high pollution and high asthma rates, we've now got money to help clean up the air and water in your town. And Republicans didn't do any of that. They didn't vote yes on any of this. So look, there's a blessing and a curse to being the big tent party, you know, where you've got folks as left wing as Bernie Sanders and as conservative as Joe Manchin all in the same tent, and they're still finding a way to get some legislation through. All right, next up, you know, I rarely feel a certain way about people, but this one, I am unapologetically happy to see Alex Jones finally being held accountable for the crap that he says on his Infowars show. So for years, this guy has been spewing nonsense about the Sandy Hook shooting. He called them crisis actors. Some of the families have sued Alex Jones for what he's done. Now, remember, Sandy Hook happened in 2012. And so the trial has been going on. Take a listen to what the mother of one of the victims said to Alex Jones during the trial. Of your son, Jesse Lewis. How does it make you feel being able to come in today and tell him 
in your space, your story. I wanted to tell you to your face, because I wanted you to know that I am a mother, first and foremost, and I know that you're a father, and my son existed. You're still on your show today, trying to say that I'm uh, implying that I'm an actress, that I'm deep state. You have this week. And I don't understand. Truth, truth is so vital to our world. Truth is what we base our reality on. And we have to agree on that to have a civil society. Sandy Hook is a hard truth, hard truth. Nobody would want to ever believe that 26 kids could be murdered. Nobody would ever want to believe that. I understand people not wanting to believe that, actually. I don't want to believe it. But I've, since that day, dedicated my life to keeping kids safe. It's our responsibility. I used to think it was the school's responsibility. It's actually our responsibility. And I've dedicated my life to that. And having a quarter of Americans doubt that Sandy Hook happened or doubt the facts around Sandy Hook is not conducive to keeping our kids safe. It's not. And it's our responsibility to keep our kids safe. This happened almost 10 years ago. We've had over 350 school shootings since then. We have to keep our kids safe. Jesse was real. I am a real mom. So over two days, the jury in these trials ruled that he has to pay $4.1 million in compensatory damages and $45.2 million in punitive damages to the two families that sued him. Now, here's an explainer on what in the world compensatory and punitive damages are if you are not an attorney. So compensatory damages, those are based on proven harm, loss, or injury. And they are often calculated based on the fair market value of damaged property, lost wages, and expenses. That's from the New York Times. Punitive damages are basically the damages that you have to pay that sends a signal and tells everyone else, don't try this, right? These are intended to punish especially bad behavior. And normally compensatory damages are much lower than punitive damages. By the way, take a listen to what Alex said on his show after the 4.1 million ruling on the compensatory damages. Law firms and the jury came in at 4.2 million when they asked for 150 million two days ago, 3 billion yesterday. I don't have $2 million in the bank or anywhere. We got like a million dollars in info wars to barely cover uh, the payroll, and they would lie and say, he makes $300 million a year. They 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 barred us from putting on evidence. They told the jury we were guilty. Uh, the judge, at least 20 times while I was in the courtroom, said, this man is guilty. Talk about prejudicing the jury. I think that backfired on them. Tamara is punitive damages. Did I consciously hurt these people? Uh, so the good news is it's a very low verdict for what they're asking for. The bad news is we don't have the money uh, to pay for it, we can get a bond and appeal it. And we're going to move forward. That's why I explained to listeners, if you want to see the war room or you want to see Alex Jones or you want to see Harrison Smith or you want to see uh, 
just everybody Greg that's on Reese Band. And video. Everybody else, if you want to see what we're doing here, we need your support at InfoWarsStore.com. Now, Jones told the court any ruling over $2 million would, quote unquote, sink him. But the reality is InfoWars is a money-making machine. At one point, they were making $800,000 a day. Alex Jones was making about $6 million a year. Now, the company and Alex Jones, their combined net worth is supposed to be between $130 to $250 million. But because of these lawsuits, which have been going on for years, again, Sandy Hook happened in 2012, the parent company of InfoWars is filing for bankruptcy to try to protect the money that they have. Another interesting thing about this, Alex Jones has argued that what he says on InfoWars isn't meant to be seen as a fact. Here's what he said in court hearings, quote, expect an interview or monologue to be more free-flowing and opinionated and less precise in its use of language than an article or a book, end quote. But of course, that's not what he says to his audience. What he says to his audience is he acts as if what he is saying is the fact and the gospel. Now, he knowingly lied during the deposition. He lied during the trial. And in fact, the judge actually stopped him. The opposing counsel had to remind him that he had the right to plead the fifth. It's just the whole thing is remarkable. And I didn't even get into the fact that the opposing counsel had access to all of his text messages over a two-year period because Alex Jones' attorneys made a big boo-boo. Now, so of course, the entire InfoWars, InfoWars network and the team are raising money from their viewers. And I classify this as Trump-level grift. Trump did the exact same thing, and he got 200 and something million to fight the 2020 election. And he did off the backs of people that were lied to, that were bamboozled, that were absolutely hoodwinked. And the same thing is happening here. In the same vein, in the sense of people maybe not being lied to, but certainly being left out of the loop. Let's go into our party pooper. Turn out the lights. The party's over. The party is over. Close the gates. What? Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. This week's party pooper is the U.S. government and the CDC. Why? Because they have failed to deliver clear communication about yet another big problem. Monkeypox. It's like, did we not learn our lessons from COVID-19? By the way, I actually finally read the monkeypox symptoms from the CDC, and it sounds absolutely terrible. About one to four days, this is on the CDC's website, about one to four days after you begin having a fever, a skin rash starts. The monkey rash, monkeypox rash often first appears on the face, hands, or feet, and then spreads to other parts of the body. The rash goes through many stages, spots turn into blisters, blisters fill with pus they scab over and fall off over a period of two to four weeks god that sounds absolutely horrific so far monkeypox overwhelmingly seems to be impacting gay men but it is not it is not something a virus that's only impacting gay men and that's something that's important to point out 
Thankfully, there is a vaccine, so I encourage you to read up on it, talk to your doctor, talk to medical professionals, so that you know what you need to do and act accordingly. Again, it's just so bizarre to me how in the face of a pandemic and all that has happened over the past two plus three years, we don't know how to communicate to the public about a doggone virus. Let's get it started in What's rule number one? Party. All right. On to the party starter. I think this is the first time I've ever done this. This week's party starter is the Democrats because they passed absolutely transformational legislation. Obama is known legislatively for the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Trump is known, amongst many things, but for passing one of the biggest tax breaks for the wealthy, Biden will be known for actually addressing the climate crisis and the national debt. And you cannot call him and you cannot call Democrats tax and spend liberals, at least not on this issue. This is an absolutely huge win. And I hope Democrats get some credit from the voters because they actually put forth legislation that's intended to help the public. And that's not unfortunately, that's not happening on the other side of the aisle. So that is today's show. As always, thank you for rocking with us. Stay tuned soon next month for our Who Runs Georgia series. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and you can always catch us the moment the episode comes out. Send it to a friend. And until next time, thank you as always for listening. Take care. <laughs>